Today we're beginning a brand new series called Amongst Life. On your chair, grab that card, okay? There is a card that says Amongst Life. So this is the series we're beginning for Lent. And if you're brand new, uh, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, Earlier this year, I went on a prayer retreat to the uh, Benedictine Monastery, which is out near Lake Fort Gibson. And I was there for a week, and I spent a week with the uh, monks that absolutely rocked me. I learned so much from them that when I came back, I was like, we got to put this into a series. And, and I just wanted to bring you during the Lent series, bring to you some of the things that I have learned uh, from the monks. And one of those things I've, I've learned is reverence. I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute, but reverence, that we worship God because he is God, Period. Like, that's the end of it right there. If God didn't give us another thing, we worship God because he is God. Amen? So this is not a new concept. This is a concept that's gone on for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, and you can turn there if you want, First Chronicles, but I'm only going to read a couple of verses. But in First Chronicles, way before Jesus, David becomes king of Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant isn't in its rightful place. The presence of God was there with the Ark of the Covenant. But for two decades, the children of Israel didn't have it in its rightful place in Jerusalem. And they didn't, have the, they didn't experience the presence of God. David said, that ain't right. In fact, he said, we have neglected the Ark of the Covenant. And I think even today, as followers of Jesus, many times we can say we have neglected the presence of God. Not the world, but we as the church many times have neglected the very God we say that we worship. And David said, we're going to bring the ark back. We're going to bring back the presence of God. Not like that. I like that. How many of y'all say we ought to bring back the presence and worship of Almighty God? All right, 12 of you. The rest of you are going to catch up here with us in a minute. So David brings it back to Jerusalem. And then he um, assigns a core team. He creates a core team with some greeters and some auditorium hosts, some kids ministry people, and uh, some priests and some Levites to watch over the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, if you're on a serving team, that's kind of what you're doing. You're, you're here to help usher in the presence of God. That's why you're on a team, because you're a minister. Wow, that's crazy. You're a minister. I anoint you today a minister of the gospel. If you Raise your hand if you're on a core team. Raise your hand if you're on a core team. Put it up, put it up high so everybody can see it. I, right now, in the name of Jesus, I anoint you as a minister of Almighty God to go forth and proclaim hope and healing and peace and purpose to our world. And I got to shut up and I got to get to the word because I want the rabbi to come up here. You didn't come to hear me today. You came to hear him, okay? So... I want to tell you, though, what David did. So David, he writes a song. He's a beautiful songwriter. And I think it sums up this word reverence so well. In the middle of the song, in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 29, excuse me, verse 28 and 29, he says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. And here's where he says, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Can we give God some praise right now in this place for the glory that he deserves? He says, bring your offering. Why y'all not clapping right now? Why y'all not clapping? Bring your offering. We'll take a second offering. How about we do that? Just to inspire you. We're not going to do that. It relaxes. Okay. Bring your offering. Come into his presence. That's what we've done today. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this holy moment, this moment we have to come to worship you, to acknowledge you, and in your presence we say, be welcomed here today. Be honored here today. Be glorified here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can sit down. Well, I want to invite my good friend, Rabbi Moshe, up. Would you give him a hand as he comes to the stage this morning? So I uh, met Rabbi Moshe on a, uh, on a trip to Israel. Laura and I got to go on a, on a trip with a couple of other pastors in our city and, and a bunch of people, and it just was such an unbelievable experience, and so we've become friends now. Uh, but before we get into it, just uh, the one thing I heard somebody say to me was, he, he doesn't have a Jewish accent. What is, what's up with that? And I'm like, well, but they, they, you're not actually from Jerusalem. You live in Jerusalem now, but kind of explain your organization and bring everybody up to speed. Okay. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, I picked up my family from Miami. We moved to Israel. I grew up here in the United States. We moved 10 years ago when I was 41. That would make me very good. Excellent. This is, you're right. This is a better group than the other one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, anyhow, we moved 10 years ago. Um, and it, and this might sound a little odd, and I'm not going to get into why it's true, but basically till I was 41, living in the United States, I had never uh, had a conversation with a Christian in my entire life. Uh, I grew up in the Northeast, in New Jersey, going to Jewish schools, Jewish summer camps, Jewish university, Jewish everything. We never interacted with the Christian community, uh, and that was much by design. The Jewish community wanted to be insular, because for 2,000 years, the Jewish community and the Christian community did not have a good relationship. And so we isolated ourselves by design. And uh, it wasn't until I moved to Israel that I actually met Christians when I became a licensed guide there. Um, and what, when I met Christians for the first time, ironically, in Israel, um, I formed an organization. It's called the Global Israel Alliance. And like a light bulb went off, doors open, paths lit up. And God said that I have to spend now my time directed at building bridges, tearing down walls between the Jewish community, between Israel and you guys and the global Christian community. So that's what I You're do. You're hanging out with Christians all the time now. So I, I do. Now I have to be on time for things. You know, it's like the first time I spoke in a church, a pastor told me 7 o'clock, so I figured it starts 7.30 because no synagogue starts on time. And so that was a bit of a shocker. <laughs> Because they came and got you, right? They didn't think you were going to yeah. show up. No, I actually was on the way to the church at 5 to 7. The pastor called me in a panic. Where are you? <laughs> I'm like, it's only 5 to 7. Yeah. It's like... That's right. Most of our people don't arrive right on time either, so that's okay. <laughs> maybe you they're guys Ju- Maybe they're Jewish. You guys. I'm talking about first service. That's what I'm talking about. So you also have a beautiful family. Tell us about your family. We'll put a picture up on the screen about your family. Yeah. So uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Yonit. Yonit is the Hebrew name for dove. It means a dove. And we have four kids, ages 16, 14, 11, and 7. My 7-year-old was born in Israel. My other kids were 6, 4, and 2 when we moved. They speak the language of the Bible, Hebrew, perfectly, unlike me. I speak it perfectly with a terrible American accent. But they speak, if you spoke to them in Hebrew, you would never know they speak English. If you spoke to them in English, you would never know they know Hebrew. They're perfectly bilingual. My 16-year-old is getting his first call up to the Army this year. Everyone serves from 18 to 21. Something the United States, in my opinion, should have some sort of service, national service. It's a great thing for our kids. 
is an amazing family. We're going to sorry, war is not a good thing. Serving your country is a good thing. Right. Uh, so I met his family, and we're going to talk about that here in, in just a moment. One thing I want to tell you about before we get too far into this is uh, he's giving away a trip for two to Israel to get beyond one of these tours. Would that not be awesome? Every follower of Jesus should go to Israel. Now, so at the end of the service, if you want to win a trip to Israel for 10 bucks, you can get a lottery ticket at the back door. He calls it a raffle ticket. I call it a lottery ticket because this is Oklahoma, and I know you'll buy it if you hear the word lottery. So even Christians, come on now. So, <laughs> but at the end of the service, you can go back at the, at the doors. They'll have a card. You take that card, fill it out, give them your 10 bucks, and you'll be in the drawing. You, you should go on one of these trips. So this is just bizarre. We're doing a series about a monk's life, and we have a rabbi and a, and a preacher. It just sounds like a bad bar joke to me. You know, a monk, a rabbi, and a preacher walk into a bar. just sounds like a bad joke. But when I was, the reason I asked Rabbi Moshe to come is because when I was at the monastery, when I, what I saw in the monks just inspired me, and it also challenged me because their reverence for God was like nothing I had ever seen. Uh, not only do they worship like seven worship services a day, they pray eight times a day, so they've got you whipped, okay? So you, for you, it's three. You yeah, got to catch but up. But we're ahead of you still. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we got a long way to go. So they, they pray, and, and when I watch them, though, the, in their reverence for God, and just when they were carrying the Bible, and the Bible was this huge book, and they were just carrying it, it was this priceless artifact, and just their reverence and fear and awe of God just completely inspired me. And so when I was preparing for this Sunday, I thought, the only other place I have seen that was when I was in Jerusalem and when I was with Rabbi Moshe. Now, talk to us about this idea of reverence for God and where that comes from in your life and in the Jewish community. Okay. Um so basically what Pastor Brad is saying is he couldn't get the monk to come, so he got me. Um, I appreciate that, but thank you. Um, you know, in, in the Bible, you know, we, the Jews, we're now, have you heard the expression, the chosen people? Yes? Okay. So in the Bible, we're the chosen people. In the gym class, we were always the last chosen people. But w- what you said is true, that we, the reverence for the Bible is, extra, is, is amazing amongst the monks, and we have something similar. And I want to show you a verse from the Bible uh, with a different translation from the first. Uh, right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And everybody wants wisdom and to be wise. And this is a verse from Psalms. I believe it appears again in the book of Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fear doesn't mean like you're afraid someone's coming at you with a gun or a bat. But fear as in this reverence that Pastor, Pastor Brad's talking about. Now, if you scroll ahead to the next verse. Oh, I can see them over there. That's cool. Um, I didn't realize that the first time around. Okay, every every man, I uh, I can't see them. That's a problem. <laughs> I said I was fifty-one. I can't see anymore. Okay, every every man, uh, uh, meaning man and woman, shall fear his mother and father. Okay, You're, a child is supposed to fear your parents. Now go on to the next one. Right, uh, Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. You're supposed to have reverence for your parents and, and honor for your parents. We see that as the paradigm, as the sample, 
as the example that one has for life for their reverence and honor of God. If you don't know how to honor your parents, you will never know how to honor God. If you don't know how to have reverence for your parents, you have no idea how to revere God. So for example, in our tradition, okay, I'm not saying it has to be yours, but you can learn from example sometimes. In our tradition, we are taught as children, number one, you, will, you never sit in the seat of your mother or your father. If you want to sit in their seat, you need permission. Okay, and they, they very, they'll give it to you, but you have to ask permission. Number two, you never call your parents by their first name, not even in their, you know, outside of their presence. Okay, I see some parents looking at their kids. Okay, you never call your parents by their first name. Even here, if you ask me my father's first name, I won't say it since we'll write it down, but we don't say your parents' name. Now, people in this room who are above the age of 40, maybe 50, I'm not sure, I remember growing up, I don't know if this was, you had this experience, but we did not refer to, to adults by their first names. It was always Mr. and Mrs. Unless it was a very, very best friend of my mother and my father, and they gave us permission. But we didn't even call our parents friends by their first name. So when there's a breakdown of respect given to parents and adults, there is a breakdown of respect and reverence given to God. So that's what the Bible, by the way, the Hebrew Bible only says you shall have reverence or fear for for, for, for three, three, three times it says it. Your mother, your father, and God. It doesn't say your boss. doesn't say your brother and sister. Okay, that, of course, you should have, but it doesn't tell you that in the Bible. It has to emphasize your mother and father and God because those are intimately connected. And that's how we are taught very, very deeply as kids um, in our homes. So talk to us about to, um, the Word of God, the Bible. Like, for example... I was looking down, and I was like, oh, I put my Bible down wrong. I'm sure he sees that I put it down <laughs> wrong. Because right. I, I learned this um, first service, and I put, yeah, that's better. Thank <laughs> you. I feel better now. I was wanting to turn it earlier so you didn't catch me, but ex- explain it. Like, when I saw the monks, the way that right. the reverence they had for, for just the Word of God is, frankly, the way in which sometimes we in the church, the way we treat the Bible, I think because we have such access to it, we see it all the time, and and. Talk to us about. So the Bible, what we call this, we all call this the living word, right? It's a living word of God. It's not some, God is not dead like Nietzsche said. God is very much alive, and this is his word. So, again, the way you treat people, the way you treat, we don't even call this a book. We have a special term. If you refer to it as the book of the Bible, it's like a book of John Grisham novel. We will not refer to it as a book. We'll use the Hebrew term. It's called the sefer. It's a special term used for, for, for biblical books. We won't use the word book. It's considered irreverent. We will never place it face down. That's irreverent. We'll never sit, put it on the same seat I'm sitting on. That's irreverent. We'll never um, uh, uh, treat, the, treat the book with respect. In our synagogues, we have a Bible written on parchment. Okay, have you, anybody here seen, just raise your hand or applause, a Torah, a Torah scroll? Okay, it's written, it takes a year to write. It's... it's beautiful. We keep it in the synagogue. When we take it out, you have to stand. And when we walk around, people touch it and they kiss their hand. Okay. And by the way, whenever a rabbi or anybody who possesses knowledge of the Torah, the Bible, walks in a room, we're taught to stand. Because if you stand for the Bible, for the scroll, you stand for the person who's the living embodiment of that scroll. God didn't create a book just to read, he created a book for us for life. And if you represent that, then, pe- then, then your children, other people should rise when you walk in the room. 
I mean, any great tourist scholar, sage, who walks in, we stand up. When your pastor walks in, in my opinion, you should stand up. I like it. He's, I like that. I like that a lot. Know, he's teaching. He's preach it, preaching, brother. Preach it. You, you exactly. just go. You just go. You know, and, and we don't sit down until the rabbi sits down. When he sits down or he tells you, he signals you to sit down. Because he's representing the Bible. And this is, if you teach people that, then they learn what reverence really means. Wow. So talk to us, though, about this idea why such holy reverence. I've just been so um, locked in on this recently, even in my own life, of putting God in his rightful place. Uh, of Do we revolve around God or does God right. revolve around us? Talk about so, that. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention there before that, 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 that made Pastor Brad laugh when we spoke on, uh, on Friday when I, we were sitting, I was saying how, I told him a story, I was in Paragould, Arkansas, Anybody ever been there? It's not a lot to do there, trust me. Flea markets and churches, that's it, basically. And uh, there's not a single Jew in Paragould. When I was there, the population of Jews doubled. Um, trust me, I, I was checking the phone book. I was looking, any Goldbergs, Cohens, Schwartz, no, nothing. Nobody there. I'm the only Jew there. I'm, I'm staying at the pastor's house. And uh, I, you know... I go to the bathroom, and I look in the bathroom, and he has on the walls pictures with beautiful pictures of, you know, verses from the Bible and things like that. And I was like, I was in shock. So I started to take pictures. I send it to my wife. I said, can you believe this? Verses from the Bible in the bathroom. And my wife was also laughing. We consider that irreverent. You know, the place I'm going to the bathroom to have God's word, like right there, uh, is uh, in our community is not considered uh, reverent. When I told this to Pastor Brad, he was he was like laughing. Oh, man, because we've got one <laughs> at the house that's got to come down as soon as services. How many of you, show hands, being honest, in, in church, how many of you have a picture in the bathroom with a scripture on it? Anybody? Okay, how many of you keep your hands up? Are actually going to take it down when you get home today? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I've never. But what I like about what you're saying is, it's not a legalistic thing. It's this idea of like, wait a second, I'm going to hold God in the highest esteem and reverence because He's real. God is real. When you get in your car after church, God isn't just in this building. I heard singing more beautifully, you know, God is in this place. Was that the lyrics? I think something like that. But God is in every place. God is in your car. God is wherever you go. But that doesn't mean, God is also in the bathroom, but we still don't put verses, you know, in in there. That's okay. But, uh, you know, God is everywhere. You know, we don't even use the word God in Hebrew because we consider that irreverent. We use the word Hashem. Has anybody ever heard that? Jews say the word Hashem. You've heard that. Hashem means the name because we won't say the actual name. You know, I hear Christians, they come in, they'll say with a, with a Y, you know that name? I can't even say it. Or, or, the, or with an A, Ado. We won't say that only in prayer or when we're studying. But we won't say that just like that because, it's again, it's like saying, calling your mom, hey, uh, Jeff, how you doing? It's like not, it's too, familiarity has the possibility of breeding irreverence, right? Familiarity has the possibility of breeding irreverence. You know, I so, see, so yeah, I, I see that, um, I, I want us to talk about Sabbath. I got, I, you got to talk about Sabbath because I think that is so true for us as Christians on on Sundays, it just—it's just something we we do, and it just becomes a thing we do, and we've kind of lost this reverence for God so often. And I'm, if you're new to church, you weren't raised in the church. Let me kind of bring you up to speed. So, 
Uh, the Jewish people have Sabbath on Saturday, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So that's Saturday. The earliest Christians were Jews, and so they would celebrate. They would not celebrate, but they would, they would, um, they would take part in the Sabbath. And they also, though, wanted to have their own unique experience. So what the early Christians would do is they would get up on Sunday morning, and they would have a worship service at the same time as the resurrection of Jesus took place. So that's where we get our Sunday morning worship service from. If you ever wonder why, why we call it a worship service, why Sunday morning? It's because the earliest Christians, they gathered on Sunday morning to honor and praise and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But the earliest Christians also celebrated and honored the Sabbath. And when I was in Jerusalem, it was so beautiful. And I know there's so much that goes into the Shabbat but could you give us just kind of a, a synopsis and a, and a feeling of what that is? Okay, it's very, very hard to do it briefly, but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. First of all, I travel once a month from Israel. I leave Israel, and I travel because I'm, I'm on this mission to build bridges, and the only way to do that is for me to meet people. But when I leave Israel, I will only leave for one Shabbat, one Sabbath. I won't be away for two weeks. So if I leave Israel on a Sunday, I'll be back the following week because I can't be away. It's too painful. Now, the Sabbath, let me explain something to you. It's going to sound a little strange, okay? But here's, I'll give you a few of the rules, and I'll explain it to you. Just a few, okay? We don't use uh, electricity, okay? Think about all the electric devices you use. We don't use, we don't turn on lights, no phones, no motor cars, not a single luxury, okay, for those who are Gilligan's Island fans, okay? But anyhow, the, uh, no phones, no lights, um, anything electric, think about it. A car has an ignition. We don't, the, the Bible says in Exodus, you shall not light a fire on the Sabbath day. We ignite, uh, we don't use our cars, nothing. Okay? Um, computers, phones, right? How many people, do you think you could put your phone down for two hours, three hours, uh, six hours a day? Hey, we don't use our phones any 25 hours, okay? Um, we don't put on lights. We don't cook. Everything has to be prepared beforehand. Okay, we eat three meals, three massive meals over the, over the Sabbath. Okay? Now, let me explain something to you. Okay? If you can't drive to the synagogue, so where are you going to live? Everybody has to live within usually about a mile radius of the synagogue. So Jewish communities are generally centralized. Okay? And so listen to this. Um, two, two, two very important points. Why are there so many things you can't do? Think about a sport you play, basketball, tennis. There are things you can't do in basketball. You can't hit the other person, right? You can't run past the boundaries. You can't run with the ball without dribbling it. It's all things you can't do. Well, what's the fun of that? Oh, the things you can't do is what makes the game. So the things you can't do, what do they inform us on the Sabbath? So listen, Friday night, the sun goes down. We light the Shabbat candles, beautiful, and now the Sabbath begins. We go to the synagogue. How do we get there? No, you don't get in your car. I don't have to yell upstairs, get off the computer. I don't have to get my kids off the phone. They come downstairs. We walk together. How many people walk anymore as a family anywhere? Right? So we walk to the synagogue, 20-minute walk, 15-minute walk, talking to our kids. We pray. Friday night service is about an hour. We walk home. We get home. No one's going anywhere. You can't drive anywhere. You can't call your friends on the phone. You can't go to your computer. You can't go to the TV. So what do you do? We go have a beautiful meal. At the meal, we go around the table. Everybody shares. Give me a highlight of your week. Give me a low light of your week. Um, we discuss the Bible. We sing songs for the Sabbath. We sit there, a beautiful meal. After the meal's over, we go into the other room. People read. 
we talk, we chat. I study with each of my kids the Bible. We study together. And then we, of course, we argue about things. That's what we do. We argue. Right? During the week, you just Google it on, on the Sabbaths. You can't Google it, so we argue for 25 hours. The first thing you do in the Sabbath, oh, see, I was right. See? <laughs> so, um, and, and, it, and then, okay, we go to sleep. Shabbat morning, we wake up. We, we walk another 20 minutes to the synagogue. We have, our service is long. It's like about two hours. Come back. We have another meal. Okay, and then the kids will there'll be some youth groups or with their friends studying, and then okay. So you understand that I used to walk with my father and my mother and my siblings every weekend for a total of about sixty minutes. Do you know Time Magazine said the average parents and child? Do you know how many minutes they talk during the whole week? Twenty-six minutes, I think a month maybe of meaningful conversation, meaningful conversation. So we used to walk six, 60 minutes every Sabbath. Right? And we focused on what makes us hum- humans, not what takes away from our humanity. People sit in restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're listening, but they're looking down at their phone at the same time. Right? This focuses on humanity. So it's amazing. When I was there, it was just so powerful to, to watch you with, with your family and the, um, the commitment that you have to Sabbath. I was laughing at myself this morning because I was like, I sent him an email why, yesterday. Why didn't he answer my email? And then it hit me this morning. I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't look at his email on Saturday. And the, But then you responded to me this morning, and then you're like, why didn't Brad respond to my emails? Because I don't look at it on Sunday. So <laughs> that's kind of humorous. Uh, but you, like, you would never consider like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's been a hard week. We'll just kind of miss synagogue or, um, or like uh, kids being in activities and saying, you know, hey, you know, we need them at this activity, so, um, you know, we can miss synagogue this week or... There's no such thing. My kids don't even ask me those things because, guys, and you know this is true, whether you're a Christian or a Jew, God has to be at the center and you are rotating around God. Unfortunately, we all know people that put themselves in the center, and God has to accommodate to me. So the kids don't say, you know, we have soccer on Saturday morning. We can't go to the synagogue. First of all, there is no soccer where we live on Saturday because everyone where we live keeps the Sabbath. So your choices in life are reflected through the reality that God must be at the center. That's where reverence comes from. It comes from acknowledging that I submit to God's will, not that God has to submit to my will. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people do live like that. So every decision of what you do in your life has to reflect that. And that's what we try to do. That's where what it means to be to revere God is to, to say, God, um, even though sometimes it's painful for me, even though sometimes it's difficult for me, even though sometimes I don't understand your will, but I will put you at my, the center of my life. And there are moments of great glory and, and, and enjoyment, and, but there are moments, as we know, in life that are painful. But God is at the center of it all. So I saw a, an incredible example of this when you sent me the email of the um, Jewish kids that were in that kind of America's Got Talent. Yeah. So I'll tell you about this. this. This touched me so, so deeply, and it was all over Israel, and it probably made it into the social media sphere. There were, there's a, a, a program in Israel called Shalva, Shalva, S-H-A-L-V-A. Shalva means tranquility. It's a beautiful, beautiful program started with by parents who had two special needs children. And basically the program uh, gives a, a opportunity for children of special needs to come there 
an afternoon program. Some of the kids sleep there, but they have hundreds and hundreds of kids. It's a massive program in Jerusalem. And Shalva, they put a, together a little band. And in the band, there are two or three of the kids have Down syndrome. Two, the two lead singers are girls who are both blind. Um, it's an amazing thing. And they, they entered into like what America's Got Talent, one of those kind of shows in Israel. And they started to win every round and everyone's talking about it. And I didn't even put it on. Um, and I was talking to my son. He goes, yeah, they keep winning because everyone feels bad for them. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking they can't be that good, you know. So I watched it. And I literally almost fell off my chair. And I called my wife. I'm like, you got to watch. It was so unbelievable. The, the talent was extraordinary, extraordinary. And um, they were about to, the final round, and they were for sure, in my opinion, going to win. And they found out that the Eurovision tournament, if they win in Israel, they're entered into this tournament in Europe. It's called the Eurovision. It's a major music tournament. And that tournament, that musical tournament, would be on the Sabbath. So they backed out in the final round, didn't even compete. Because if they win, they would have to go. So these children that in their life were shining. These are kids that maybe are always pushed to the periphery. We're now in the center of the news. They were all over, said we put God at the center. And they, they, they resigned from the contest. So I sent Pastor Brad the video of them singing Hallelujah, you know, the Leonard Cohen version. There's a Hebrew, first half's in Hebrew, the second part is a Leonard Cohen. You have to watch it. We'll, I think they're going to send it out to you. It will just... You can't stop crying, and you'll, 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 you'll YouTube Shalva. You see all their songs. It's just unbelievable. So um, just a couple minutes left here, but when I was w with the monks, and then again when I was in Jerusalem, um, you know, God forgive me, just at a distance, uh, when I see that, I think, oh, they're just being legalistic, and, you know, um, and they're just all caught up in the commandments and, and the do's and don'ts, and I gotta, I'm trying to win God's approval and favor and yada, yada, and then I went and I was with the monks for a week, and I realized, oh, no, they, they're doing this because of their devotion and their love for God. Like, that's why they're doing everything they're doing. Then I turn around, I get on a plane, I go to Israel, and I meet Moshe, and we hang out for a week, and then I, I go to the Western Wall and worship, uh, which I don't even know how to explain that experience. It's unbelievable. And what I, I saw was, I had that all wrong. I don't know where that came from in my mindset, but what I see in you is this, it's not trying to earn God's love. It's because of your love for God and your devotion that you do these things. Correct. One thing I've learned in the last eight years of traveling around, speaking in churches, meeting Christians, is that Christians look at legalism in a very negative sense. It's a very bad word almost. We see it quite differently. Um, and you your community and our community, we have the same goal. You want to love God. You want to be connected to God. You want to live a life of deep spirituality. We all have the same goal. But what we see in, 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 the, in the rules and the legal principles is this. I want you to think about someone you love. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Whatever it is, a best friend, someone you love. And it's their birthday, and you want to bring them something. And you ask your wife, what would you like for your birthday? She says, well, you know, I've always wanted a gold bracelet. Okay, great, thanks. So you go out and you buy her a power drill, okay? And you come back on her birthday and you hand her, she's so excited, she opens it up and, you know, it's a power drill. And she looks at, oh, and, you know, it's kind of like when you get a sweater, you know, oh, a sweater. So, I, 
I'm, do they have that on Christmas? I know you get for Hanukkah a sweater. You're like, oh, man, this is really disappointing. <laughs> oh, the only thing worse is a pair of socks. But, um, but anyway, so, so you, get, you give her the power drill. She looks at you and like, so you bought her something that you wanted, not what she wanted. So we see that love, the way we see it, love is in the details. So when we see the details, the way the Bible, we read the Hebrew Bible and says, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's an expression of our devotion and our love for God. It's not that we're trying to win God's favor and it's like you're, you know, you're, 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 uh, you know, your mom tells you to clean your room. You say, well, if I clean my room, then I'm going to get the car. You know, it's not like that we see it as an expression of our love for the divine, of our love for God. So we all want the same thing. We just might be on a different path to getting there. We go this path, you go that path, and that's all good. You know what? We don't have to agree on everything. My wife and I don't agree on everything, and I still love her. You know, there can be love between our faith communities without sameness, and I think that's really critical. So what I want to encourage you to do, if you, if you want to go on a trip, and I encourage you to go on a trip, you can see uh, Moshe after the service, um, get in on the, on the free tickets, though. When you leave this morning, when you go out those doors, they'll have the card, and just for 10 bucks, and that 100% of that goes to his organization of uniting Christians and the Jewish community. Uh, but before you go, you did this in first service, and I'd love for you to do it again, and that is to pray the priestly blessing over us. It was so powerful and meaningful. Would you do that for us? Sure. You can remain seated. It's, it's fine. Um, Jews like to sit. I noticed Christians were standing for the first 15 minutes. I was like, oh, my gosh, this would never go in a synagogue. Everyone wants to sit. <laughs> the, um, I have to say, I, I, I won a contest in New York for New York's Funniest Rabbi. I really did, and I used to do stand-up comedy. I feel like after eight years of being with Christians, I have a whole new routine. <laughs> it's like, uh, but I'll have to come back for that another time. But um, what, what I wanted to also to thank, and I, f I feel so bad, I forgot at the first service to thank Pastor Brad and Laura. Um, like, I, I, if I was a Christian, I think this is the church I'd go to. You guys are so amazing, and uh, you guys are very lucky to have them. Um, and, and Pastor Laura's mom, who I met as well, amazing. So you, you guys are very, very lucky here. So I want to just end this with the with the, the blessing. We we use this to bless our children on Friday night. Whenever our Christian groups are like so moved by it, but it's just we it's very natural for us. My wife and I we go around the table at the meal before we even start. We lay our hands on our children's head and we give them a blessing. Um, and after we give the standard blessing, we whisper something private in their ear. That's relevant to, to them. The blessing is from the, from, from the priestly blessing of Aaron. It ends with the word shalom. And so when I get to the word shalom, that's your cue. Then you say amen. Um, uh, all Jewish blessings always try to end with the word shalom because everything should end with peace. Because uh, the goal of everything, peace is the, the vessel that can contain everything. So here we go. You ready, guys? Yevarecha Adonai Vishmarecha Yaer Adonai Panav Elecha Vihuneka Yisa Adonai Panav Elecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom. So without the literal translation, but the blessing had three parts to it. One that God should bless you, one is that God should keep you and sustain you um, in every way. And the third one is that God should turn his face to you and his his radiance should shine upon your face. Can we show Rabbi Moshe our love and appreciation for him coming? Thank you. Thank you.